It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. Let's get to it, shall we? Coming up on the program today, a hospital employee wanted an exemption from a COVID shot and asked for a religious exemption. You will not believe the questions she must answer before the hospital executives deign that her religion is religious enough. Viewpoint discrimination at the very least in terms of government doing things to you, but in terms of employment law, since when is there a religious test to keep a job in a hospital? An interview with independent journalist Andy No about what appears to be a, well, a big dark cloud over Portland, Oregon. And I don't mean the clouds from the chemical sprays and the IEDs being launched by Antifa. I am talking about the city descending into Thunderdome with a shootout with an older man with Antifa on the downtown streets on Sunday. The silence of the media is frightening. The complicity of local government is undeniable. And then also the speech Joe Biden should have given about Afghanistan amid the airlifts of people for whom the vast majority are not Americans. It's just astonishing. That's coming up. Here are some troubling concerns that I've noticed over the past few days about COVID. Now, as I've mentioned before, in Washington State, the University of Washington Medical Center is denying organ transplants for patients who have been on the transplant list uh, for longer than COVID has been around. In one case, guy had been on for two and a half years. And they'll be removed. In fact, some of them have because they refuse to get COVID shots. One of whom, as I explained last time, has, he's got a heart condition and he's going, well, COVID's, COVID shots have been related to heart problems. I mean, why would I, why would I do that again? Okay, so you remember that one. Also in Washington State, Eatonville High School is putting electronic trackers on student athletes who are not vaccinated in order to keep social distancing for volleyball practice and other sports to keep track of the unvaxxed students and to do contact tracing on the field of play. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. Los Angeles is planning to impose COVID restrictions that would forbid people who have not gotten the shot from being able to go to the grocery store and other retail outlets and gyms. Now, not to put too fine a point on it, and even if you're not a religious person, but you just have to know this was predicted in the Bible in Revelation 13, 17, reading partially, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, the name or, or the number of its name. Okay, so that's happening. In New York, a judge has made getting a COVID shot a requirement to get a plea deal or probation deal. Another job made it a condition of a defendant's term of bail. Really? Are they going to insist that women have abortions or something? Yeah, I got to get a drink of water. Let's let's remember. It's to these people, these judges, that we have to ask how to rule on the legality and constitutionality of COVID mandates. If they're the ones ordering this junk, why in heaven's name would we expect to get a free and fair decision, a constitutional or lawful decision from these guys? 
Okay, I recently wrote a piece over at PJ Media about how to legally fight back against COVID vaccine and mask mandates and ask for feedback from people being ordered to engage in what used to be illegal and unconstitutional regarding our own bodies. And what we've noted is, of course, on Monday, the FDA said, oh, you know, the Pfizer vaccine's just fine. And we've given it our full support, which, of course, they didn't because they said, well, you're going to have to hold this, this, this in abeyance until such time that we can actually do the tests that we're supposed to have done before giving it our complete approval. And it also begs the question, oh, okay, so if this one's approved and, of course, Upon announcing the approval of the Pfizer vaccine, what do you think happened? Ah, the military began shooting up soldiers, airmen, uh, National Guardsmen, and etc., sailors and Marines with COVID shots. Because the one of the lawsuits that was uh, invoked during this time said, hey, wait a minute, the experimental nature of the vaccine should prohibit the military from having to give these people shots. Well, so the FDA, if you didn't think they were political before, oh, honey, you ain't seen nothing yet. They are political, baby. And they just immediately just rushed it through. I mean, you want to talk about fast track? Fast tracking got nothing on this. So now all of a sudden, oh, that argument is gone for people who want to bring a a legal lawsuit, she tried to say. And of course, it mooted that particular point about the emergency powers and forcing vaccines or shots on people uh, with an experimental medicine, right? And then, of course, what happened is Guess who's not approved by the FDA? That's right, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson. So does that mean Moderna and Johnson & Johnson are not to be used because they're not approved and only Pfizer is to be used? It's a good question. Now, as we've seen in the news, the Biden administration can't require vaccine passports. There's that t- pesky little <laughs> constitution thing in the way. But he can get his buddies to whom much has been given to do it for him in the workplace and the fallout is gee sure would be a shame if anything happened to your job now a couple of things about that now sorry in advance to the godwin's law wags but after world war ii the world the entire world embraced the idea that forcing people into coercive medical treatments was considered an international crime against humanity or some such thing. There was such a thing as bodily integrity. Go with me on this. And remember, nationally, there used to be such a thing as privacy rights under, what, I don't know, the abortion laws and under the laws that allow children to receive drugs that are puberty blockers, get abortions or birth control without their parents' consent. And in some cases, the COVID shot. So there's a privacy for them and not privacy for the adults because uh, they are being told that they can't keep their jobs at the behest of the government. Can't keep your job unless you get a shot. State and local laws, I read here, prohibit most coercive medical practices and the Americans with Disabilities Act could be invoked because it's clear Uh, going on here, that the people who don't need a shot due to a natural immunity or want a shot because of pre-existing conditions, like that guy at the transplant place at the UW, or religious beliefs under the First Amendment, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and the reaffirmations of those under state laws and under the 14th Amendment. Now, you can't do that. 
So religious exemptions remain in play, though some employers, and I've heard from multiple people from all over the country about the onerous steps one must take to get one. And they're usually turned down because the government wants you to get vaccinated, though you may already have natural immunity. And that makes no sense. If you happen to have a story, please let me know. Victoria at VictoriaTaft.com is where you can send the email. Now, this note is from a man whose wife works at a a hospital, a medical center that you've heard of. You may be from Podoc Nowheresville, and you've heard of this medical center in Los Angeles. Hey, Victoria, it's 1 a.m. on Friday night, and I'm lying in bed and just read your article on PJ Media about fighting back against the vaccine mandates. I felt compelled to get out of bed pull out the laptop and shoot you a quick message. It felt so good to hear that my wife isn't one of the few going through this horrific, gut-wrenching mandate being forced down upon us. We obviously know that there are others going through the same employer mandate, vaccine mandate, but it was nice to hear different ways people are fighting back. And go look at that piece. I know Kenny's got it linked up on the show notes. We went out to dinner this evening, and the entire time... We spent slowly eating and chewing up our conversation about this issue. Conversation, the entire conversation about her employer-driven mandate and how sick we both feel about it, how unfair it is. And we both cannot believe that we, what we are witnessing before our eyes, we couldn't enjoy our meal. My wife is a clinical transplant program coordinator at a hospital. It's one of the best hospitals in the nation. She's been an exemplary employee for 13 years. Her mothers and aunts currently work there. And now they're mandating every single employee, even the remote workers, which makes no sense, get vaccinated or get fired. They are saying employees can apply for religious or medical exemption. But from what we hear from people directly inside the HR department is that they are rejecting almost all religious exemption letters. My wife was literally crying at dinner tonight because she has two days to submit her religious exemption letter, but knows deep down that they are going to reject it. She was telling me with tears in her eyes that she's going to have to give in and get the shot for the sake of our family. And he goes on to say that she is the sole breadwinner for their him and their three children, 10-month-old, 2-year-old, 6-year-old. Um, This claims to be a religious hospital, but this is far from it. And the fact that we heard that they are pretty much rejecting almost all religious exemptions letters is sickening. Now, here is some of that religious exemption letter. Now, I want you to put your attorney hat on for this one. It says, describe in detail your beliefs practices and or observances that support your request for a religious accommodation. You know, you don't need a pastor's note, I hear from an attorney making this litigation through the courts. Include as much information as possible. The name of your religion, your membership in particular church or religious organization, the nature of your beliefs, practices and observances, where and how you adhere to these beliefs, practices, and observances. When you first begin to embrace these beliefs, 
practices and observances. Whether your beliefs, practices, observances have strengthened or diminished over time, and if so, why was that? And they leave you a long, long place to to write stuff down. How the policies and procedures conflict with your beliefs, practices, observances. Whether you have a spiritual leader, and if so, whether he or she has addressed the issue for which you are requesting an accommodation. Any additional information regarding your beliefs, practices, observance, and support from your request for religious accommodation. If you're making this request for the first time, blah, 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 please include information about your prior requests. By signing below, I affirm that this is the truth. Now, I'm, an, I'm no attorney, but this appears patently illegal. This is a religious test to keep your job. The only time you can actually invoke religion to prevent somebody from working at a place is at a church or a parachurch organization, to the best of my understanding. It also appears to be against the Americans with Disability Act and probably HIPAA. I'm trying to get a response from an attorney on this particular letter, and I got several of these kinds of letters from people all over the country, from Tennessee, from Michigan, uh, Illinois. I mean, it was insane, uh, the reaction I got to that particular story. And I'm going to trot them out for you and try to get some I try to get some professional help with them. And stay tuned for that in the next few programs. So I'm trying to get some answers for you. And of course, everything is, this is unprecedented. This has never happened in the history of our country. Never. There, that the government or your employers be given the latitude to fire people based on a, a vaccine or a shot, a medical procedure. This is not smallpox. This is not something that kills a third of the population. This is something that maybe kills 0.03% of the population, and most of that's because of preordained conditions, uh, you know, obesity and that sort of thing. And, and you know, that's one of the reasons why the guy at the UW, UW uh, uh, Transplant Center didn't want to get the, the uh, COVID shot. He thought, oh, great, this is going to be even worse for my heart. Unbelievable. Okay, so now on to the speech Joe Biden should have given to Americans when it was clear he had so colossally screwed up Afghanistan, leaving Americans without a way to get the hell out until he was embarrassed into it and billions in material and buildings from which to set up shop for Taliban and remnant Al-Qaeda and ISIS to do their thing and uses their command and control. Now, last time I shared with you the British MP and Afghanistan veteran who spoke about the debacle. And if you haven't heard that, listen to last week's podcast. He, he mentioned how it has torn NATO asunder, left free people less safe, not to mention the Taliban, people afraid of the Taliban in Afghanistan. Joe is saying that 75 plus thousand people have been exfilled from Afghanistan and he doesn't say how many of them are Americans because they're failing to get out those people. Now, I'd like to know where our leaders are at this time. Where's the honor? Why aren't people being fired or resigning for this atrocious, this scandalous disaster? Ask yourself why that is. Maybe FUBAR situation here is what they wanted. Don't ask me. Ask them. Okay, now we turn our, our sights to uh, retired Navy SEAL and podcaster 
Jocko Willink, who gave the speech that Joe should have given. It's only about three minutes. And then after that, stick around for my talk with independent journalist Andy No. This is what owning it, taking responsibility looks like. Good evening. I wanted to give you an update on the current situation in Afghanistan. As you know, we were set to leave Afghanistan this month. And as we began the final drawdown, I made some critical errors. Namely, I underestimated the strength of the Taliban and I overestimated the strength and capability of the friendly Afghan forces. This was my fault. And due to my mistake, the Taliban has taken control of Afghanistan. There are reports now that ISIS and Al-Qaeda are working alongside them. Unfortunately, there are tens of thousands of Americans on the ground there, as well as friends and allies of America on the ground. And these people, Americans and our allies, are all stranded. And that is my fault but they will not be stranded for long. In the next 48 hours, America will be in control of most major airports in Afghanistan. Any resistance we meet from the Taliban or otherwise when we seize these airports will be destroyed completely and without mercy. From those airports, we will conduct rapid strike rescue missions until we have recovered and evacuated all our citizens, allies, and friends. Any person that interferes with these operations will be killed. We will also recover or destroy all aircraft, vehicles, weapons, and sensitive equipment that we left behind. Any person utilizing, guarding, or located in close proximity to these weapons or equipment will be killed. Once we have evacuated all friendly personnel and recovered or destroyed the weapons and equipment left behind, we will depart Afghanistan. But we will continue to monitor everything that happens in Afghanistan through our ground and airborne surveillance equipment terrorist training camps or activity will be targeted and destroyed. Gross violations of human rights will be stopped through overwhelming force. And any group in Afghanistan fighting for freedom, liberty, and basic human rights will be supported through special operations forces and ruthless precision air power. We will continue that dedicated support until the enemy is no longer a threat to humanity or to the good people of Afghanistan. May God bless America and may God have mercy on the souls of our enemy because we will not. That is all. Time now for my discussion with Andy No, independent journalist. Find him at andy-no.com. Get his book, Unmasked. It is 
a real eye-opener. It's about Antifa, and you can get it wherever books are sold. This follows the Portland police and City Hall declaring that there would be no police to help keep Antifa away from the so-called Freedom Rally, apparently getting security from Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer. Gee, I wonder why they need security. Gee, I wonder why that has to happen. The issue is not whether you agree with right-wing stuff. The issue is why the city doesn't stand in support of anyone's free speech. It has been constantly shut down and attacked by Antifa. You know, they call it the heckler's veto. Well, guess what? The rioter's veto is wrong. It's anti-freedom. And, you know, is an independent journalist, and he has been watching Antifa for years now. In fact, he has written a book about it. It's called Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. He can find him on Locals and also at andy-no.com, where you can find his independent journalism work and find out how to contact him, etc. Find him on Twitter at Mr. Andy No, N-G-O. And... Andy, welcome back to the Adult in the Room podcast. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me on, Victoria. Well, here we are again, nearly two years of riots and mayhem and terroristic behavior. And now the people who live in the city of Portland are, I think, inured to the violence of Antifa. And there appears to be a change going on in Portland and the treatment of Antifa by the city is changing as well. And I'm trying to put my finger on it, which is why I wanted you to come on and see if I can put together a few data points and have you paint the picture for me. Now, this latest permutation, this latest change with respect to the city of Portland's response to Antifa starts a couple of weeks ago when Antifa attacked families who were gathered at the waterfront for a Christian Freedom Festival featuring Arthur Pulowski, a firebrand pastor from Alberta, Canada. He's the guy who's been arrested for holding services in defiance of COVID rules there. And that made national news. That attack by Antifa of that event in Portland made national news. They attacked them, used IEDs, etc. And I know you'll go into more detail about that. But then in another incident, Antifa attacked a group later on that day, if I'm not mistaken, or the day after, setting off IEDs, spraying people, including children with chemical spray. And it made them look obviously very bad. And basically, the theory I run with is if Antifa don't start nothing, there won't be nothing. But as if their lawlessness wasn't bad enough, before a planned freedom rally announced by street preachers and Patriot Prayer and Proud Boys on Sunday, Mayor Ted Wheeler and the police chief said they would no longer send any assets to keep the peace between these groups of people and some of whom are Proud Boys and we're supposed to hate the Proud Boys because they're um, they're evil. Uh, then the distinct impression I got from the way the city was discussing it was from the sequence sequence of events was that the city was kind of giving an olay to Antifa to attack, sort of green lighting it. And the reason I wanted you to come on to the podcast is because you have more to add about the bad behavior of the Proud Boys and Antifa. But like, for example, 
the effort by the New York Times today, the recent efforts by a local pastor who's really a leftist activist involved in trying to rehabilitate Antifa's image now. The January 6th so-called insurrection conspiracy narrative fell through, and now they're trying to backfill and help out Antifa. Am I misreading that? And what do you see? Okay, so let's set um, the events uh, for the listeners. So you just outlined um, how August had been, has, and, and was a very violent month in Portland in regards to political violence. Um, Portland had a couple of uh, months of reprise um, from the rioting. Uh, things have slowed down in that regard. Uh, then they picked up in August. Um, the so what happened on Sunday the 22nd is that following these events early in the month of where the evangelical Christian worship event was attacked uh, the following day there was a really large worship event that was organized and there were thousands of people there and as people were dispersing that was when Antifa launched the offensive in downtown so uh more than a month ago, a patriotic-themed rally was announced through these digital flyers for Sunday, the 22nd of August. And nobody, um, no groups put their name on it, so you have really no idea which groups are behind it, but Antifa and their supporters and allies accused the event of being far-right and a fascist event, as they do for any conservative or patriotic or America loving event. So they were, they had openly organized um, a violent direct action. In fact, they were gleefully looking forward to what they were thinking would be a bloodbath. I mean, a small right wing gathering on in downtown Portland. Um, they're always going to be outnumbered. And so, um, the event uh, on Sunday, the day of the event, it was moved 10 miles away to the other side of downtown to a parking lot of a former Kmart in northeast Portland, almost 30 minutes by car away. Uh, the organizers did that, they said, because they wanted to avoid any violent clashes. So hours and hours went by. The rally uh, in Northeast Portland, was, there weren't that many people there, um, several dozen. Um, and the event was pretty uneventful. It was just a conservative event. Um, there were Proud Boys operating as security for that event. And um, the media and Antifa have been very reckless in calling just anything right-wing in Portland Proud Boys. Like, that's a misuse. Uh, it's inaccurate. Like, Proud Boys is an actual organization. It's not just like, you know, just self-identifying to it. Um, it is not synonymous with right wing or anything like that. It's an actual group. And so many times things that were blamed on Proud Boys had nothing to do with them. But on this particular instance, the Proud Boys were acting uh, in a formal capacity from my sources uh, as security for the event. Um, it, a lot of the commentary around this, as always, is always framed as far left versus, uh, excuse me, um, anti-fascist versus the far right. I think it's time to move beyond that. We've been having that 
an argument for years now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a free expression issue. What you have in Portland is that um, citizens are unable to carry out protective First Amendment activities. Public worship, um, freedom of expression in the form of political rallies. They're, not, they're unable to do it, not because of the law prohibiting it, but the city having organized far less militants promising and carrying out acts of violence against these people and police not doing anything in the city turning a blind eye. Now, there's lots of reasons for why police don't respond. But, but that, that is, that's the reality on the ground of what happens. So in response, these conservative groups, right, right-wing groups, whatever, you know, their political views to me don't actually really matter because this is a free expression issue. They're having to organize their own volunteer security uh, volunteer militia, whatever you want to call it, to protect their gatherings. And it's that's the most disturbing part to me is that unless you can get together essentially dozens of men to protect you when you're holding either a political rally or some type of evangelical event, you're going to get brutally beat up, possibly even killed by Antifa. So... The Antifa, uh, halfway through the day, uh, they split off from the event in downtown because they had occupied an area in downtown really hoping for a big brawl with right-wingers and there were no right-wingers to attack. So instead, they were going after journalists, random elderly people walking through downtown. There are some of these undercover videos um, that Antifa have been trying to hide and discredit because it, it's embarrassing for them. It shows that these are street thugs. They took over uh, an area in front of the waterfront. They were looking for a fight. They had nobody to fight, so they were targeting anybody. Well, several dozen of them got into vehicles and drove 10 miles out to where the right-wing rally was. And that is what sparked all the violence in the videos you see that was spilling really onto the street. Um, The Antifa, some of them militants, were in a, a van that drove uh, into the, the rally and the security started attacking the vehicles. The people inside were pepper spraying those outside. They jumped out, took off running and started throwing explosives. You know, they weren't just throwing regular fireworks. They had taped together different types of fireworks and M80s to make the explosions large enough that could cause actually serious injuries. And they were throwing this in front of a, a gasoline station, by the way. Ah. So... Um, I mean, M80 for everybody, M80 is an eighth of a stick of dynamite. And I don't know about him. I've had that about a mile away and it shook all our windows. It's no joke. This is not benign. Exactly. So in the footage, you see the dozens of Antifa and Black Bloc having to retreat because they weren't actually outnumbered. It was looked like a smaller group of right wing security, but... They, the Antifa were either intimidated or just weren't actually ready for a fight when confronted with one. So that's what you see of uh, the rampage there. And Antifa also had their support vehicles driving along. And those vehicles were sm- completely smashed up, destroyed. You see the, the footage that's been taken out of context. Later on, the uh, people that were with, with the right-wing rally returned back to the parking lot and overturned the van that Antifa had um, that crashed and was abandoned there. So the 
fortunately, we have some videographers on the ground who provided an Im- videos to show what happened because without them, we wouldn't have any idea because Antifa are really organized and targeting press. In fact, one of the videos and stories that has gotten some attention is that there was actually a left-wing journalist, a woman, a young woman, who was told to stop photographing and she um, refused to listen to Antifa and they ended up beating her to the ground. Oh, that was a her... lefty, huh? Yes, it is. It's, um, her name's Marani. Um, they took her equipment and as far as I know, this was her livelihood and they destroyed her camera and then they pepper sprayed her in the face. So she had to be carried off by other journalists because she couldn't see. So this is the level of violence. And normally, you know, what happened then is actually, that's pretty normal for what Antifa do. And we just don't see it because they have systematically intimidated the press into not recording them. It's very intentional. Um, And then later on in an unrelated event in downtown, Antifa was involved in a shootout with a 65-year-old man who, according to police, had nothing to do with any of the protests. Some of the coverage or some of the lies and propaganda put out by Antifa is that this was a proud boy who was trying to kill um, the anti-fascist protesters. In fact, the videos that we've seen, he fired one shot and he was um, shot back by at least four rounds Mm -hmm. in the middle of downtown during the day. Of course, the man was arrested immediately. He surrendered. Um, so we know his name, his age, his, his charges, felony charges. The Antifa who were firing, they're in Blackball. They escaped. And in one video that was recorded, the police went up to them and was trying to gather the evidence from the scene. And the Antifa had gathered up all the uh, bullet casings. Like, this is how organized they are. They know to tamper with evidence, to destroy evidence, anything that can incriminate their side. None of the videographers were interested in recording the Antifa side of the shooting. So you only see... Um, it from a very narrow angle. So Sunday was extremely violent. We're fortunate nobody was shot or killed or anything. But it's you mentioned at the beginning there's this, there's been sort of there's a change in that, mm-hmm. and the change is that police beforehand had made it explicit, explicitly clear through statements, and this is Portland police that they were not going to intervene. Um, in effect, this is kind of what it has been for a very long time. If you are accosted, assaulted, beaten, robbed, mobbed, beaten by Antifa, even in front of the police station in downtown, you're on your own. But this was really the first time that Portland police had made it very clear that they weren't going to intervene. So all day, um, throughout all these clashes and violence, um, police weren't there. And uh, Antifa were very gleeful beforehand, but I think it actually worked to their disadvantage because normally uh, the presence of law enforcement works to the present, uh, the benefit of Antifa in that they get to fight police, which is another ta- ta- favorite target of theirs. Um, if their comrades get arrested, then immediately they all, everybody turns the camera and puts out deceptive videos framing the rioter as an innocent protester getting arrested by police. Um, their far-left attorneys and the, the, those organizations will mobilize to file lawsuits with the city, which are always quickly settled for a mm. lot of money. So, it, it, I think the takeaway is that it's an all-win for the police in regards that their officers don't get injured. Um, 
they uh, don't get charged with any crimes from the district attorney who's really looking for an excessive use of violence case to make an example of the Portland police. Um, no propaganda videos from Antifa made from police about the police. Um, and uh, so yeah. the, the police win, but the losers are law abiding citizens or residents who happen to you know live nearby where these violent these violent acts occur. And the precedent that uh, is set and has already been set before, but now is really cementing, um, is that it, um, Portland is becoming very uh, law, a lawless city mm-hmm. if you can carry out that violence in the name of anti-fascism. Correct. The club owners in downtown, where there was a person, seven persons were shot in downtown Portland, not having anything to do necessarily with left-wing violence, but at at a club at night. Now they're starting to hire their own security because there just aren't enough cops in the so-called entertainment zone to help out in the case and keep the peace and that sort of thing. You mentioned that there was a decision by the Oregon State Legislature that precluded the use of certain uh, crowd control techniques by the cops and that you believe that there might be a connection here as well. Um, there's a connection. I've, I have my sourcing in my sources in law enforcement in Oregon and the bill that was passed, uh, it was introduced by a Democrat, no surprise. Uh, the bill is uh, Bill 2928 and ostensibly it's about police for reform but very crucially in it is that it limits most uses of crowd control tools. So that would include um, impact munitions and tear gas, um, these tools that are non-lethal and are, are very effective at clearing out the crowds. Um, this law was passed in response to police using crowd control during um, the riots that occurred last year, night after night after night. And so um that's the other reason why, really, why police came up beforehand. The police chief said that they weren't going to intervene because in that law that passed, it says that violation of um, this new law, it, you can be crim- criminally prosecuted as under a misdemeanor. And so the police department and officers are not wanting to risk being criminally charged for intervening mm-hmm. in a riot. That's the other thing, too, that, what I mean when I say that it's an all-win for police. Um, and on top of that, you mentioned all the shootings and homicides that are happening in Portland. I mean, this year, I, we're now at 60, 60 homicides for a city of Portland. Portland is a moderate, moderate-sized population city that before had relatively low rates of shootings. So... Police, t- police resources are tied up in shootings and homicides. So, you know, they just couldn't really be bothered anymore with responding to these riots. So um, the law-abiding citizenry are the losers and free expression is essentially, I mean, it's, it's dying. You know, you can have it protected in the law, but if the spirit of it is not upheld by the culture and, of course, um, uh the state is not willing to make sure that infringements on free expression are are not being pushed back against, then you have what you have now, what you're seeing in Portland. Chicago on a weekend. It's not that bloody, but there's no telling. I mean, why wouldn't it get 
more violent, more body count, more people sent to the hospital, whatever. I don't want to be hyperbolic about it, but why wouldn't that happen? The cops aren't going to do anything about it. So now you had mentioned on Twitter, and I encourage people to follow you at real, I mean, sorry, Mr. Andy No, NGO, Mr. Andy No. And you had mentioned the fact that there was a guy who had deleted a tweet talking about snipers on rooftops and how Antifa was prepared for the group that was coming downtown. And then someone else said, this was all hearsay, of course, this guy, I'm sitting in a diner and this waitress said, oh yeah, I saw some people on the roofs with guns. And um, I'm thinking, what is this, the Wild West? Do you, do you have any confirmation of that happening? And I mean, your, your assessment of what that portends for Portland yeah, so um, all the, my, you know, compiling and publicizing the videos and information before, during, and after the violence on Sunday made me a target, not just by Antifa, which is a given, but also by left-wing journalists and all that, mm-hmm. uh, because they, they don't like the information that I put out, which shows that we're not talking about mothers and fathers who are anti-fascists who are protesting against the far right. There's this criminal organized gang element that is openly um, organizing violence and calling for deadly violence, actually. Um, I forgot to mention earlier. So Antifa had gathered in downtown and created this mini autonomous zone near the waterfront. And they had people on foot doing armed patrols along the waterfront. Um, there was a, a Portland uh, father with his young child who tweeted out a picture. And, like he's just walking along with his family and you're seeing people dressed in mili- uh, paramilitary gear with rifles just walking around patrolling. Um, so with all the attention that went against me, um, there was an account that said that um, uh, I, I should have been shot in the head with a gun. Uh, I looked into the account. It's by a man named John Hamm. He's in Portland, and the press has written about him before for unrelated reasons going back some years. But I looked at his accounts, and in one of his posts, he he makes the statement that... Um, uh, I, I can just read the line. It says... This was in a tweet. It said, um, those effing fascists uh, from Clark County tried to make it to the waterfront park in Portland... They made it to 122nd and Sandy. Antifa has snipers on roofs and parking garage downtown if they want to show up in trucks. Uh, So this was a statement. I contacted the Portland police to ask if they were aware of anything such as that. Um, They said no. Um, I'm not sure if they were even looking for it. I mean, some of these violence that is carried out right under the noses of law enforcement they don't do anything and they don't notice it. So, Free expression is dead in Portland unless people fight for it. And in order to fight for it, you've got to fight through Antifa and you might get killed. Yes, it's uh, it, it's clear that um, it's been clear for a very, very long time that the, the local and the state uh, government uh, does not have the, either the will or the ability to address the spiraling downward um, crime and lawlessness in Portland. And I think it's time for federal agencies to step. And I felt like that last year, obviously, when the Mm -hmm. local authorities, not 
not just turn a blind eye to the night after night violence and uprising, but actually inf- encourage it, express support for it, went out to it. Yeah, it was a scene. Question. The Portland Tribune and Zane Sparling or whatever his name is, um, kept a log on his Twitter feed and then later wrote about the situation that he, in his estimation of what went down on Sunday, notably leaving out anything having to do with Antifa. Yeah, so I don't... Um, the press in Portland are cowards. Uh, I'm just going to say that. Uh, some of the journalists try hard to do really good, but the, I, either, the, either most of the journalists and or the institution, like the publications themselves, are cowardly in that they don't want to upset um, uh, the left-wing people, which make up the, the majority of Portland's population. And acknowledging Antifa is seen as an aggression. Which is really, I mean, it's a form of gaslighting because Antifa call themselves Antifa. If you, you could go to the autonomous zone right now. I'm sure the graffiti is still up from the 24 hour, um, no, the 15 hours that they occupy that area in downtown Portland. They wrote their messaging all over, and they wrote literally Antifa area, Antifa zone, and um, there's a photo I tweeted out compiled of how many times the graffiti mentioned kill or die. Like whatever group kill, you know, whatever group that they want wanted mm-hmm. dead, and it was dozens of times. So this is their messaging, plain and center. Um, they do it in their graffiti, in their chants, um, yeah. and the flags. At, they carry the anti-fascist flag, literally anti-fascist action flag, at their occupation in downtown. So this hesitancy is out of cowardice. Um, in a fear, in a fear of being tortured by Antifa as well, um, you cannot work in, in anywhere near Antifa unless you write material that they approve and aim your cameras in a way that never includes them. That's all claim. Like those rules are made plain to the journalists, and the local press com- com- complies with that, and so. Um, I try so hard to get the truth out about what happens, and um, but you know I'm I'm branded not not credible, not not reliable, not legitimate by the gatekeepers, and so mm-hmm. um, you know in some ways it doesn't matter, and that people can see for their eyes with the videos. That's why that's why I focus on the videos so much, by the way, because you can criticize my analysis my you could call it spin you could call it whatever you want for me but i so i post the videos or publicize them or retweet them so that people can see for themselves and, it, and it's very clear when you look at that um but unfortunately you know you just look at the response from the senate um one of the senators in oregon describing um what happened in portland as an attack by white nationalists when the rally by the conservative activists in Northeast Portland had nothing to do with race or white nationalism. It was obviously, if you look at all the photos and videos of the people there, it was multiracial. So this is like, it's like in industry scale gaslighting. And I don't know how to counter that it's in some ways because you can show people the videos and the evidence and the photos and you'll be called a liar. So um, I don't, 
Yeah, I mean, that's the frustrating thing yeah. in, in regards to being uh, a dissident journalist is that, you know, it's not enough to tell the truth. It's like you have to work against a whole machine that pumps out lies and disinformation every day and poisons the minds of people into still thinking that Antifa are good people. When, you know, we're nearing the one year anniversary of the murder of Aaron Danielson. And I never knew this individual, never crossed paths with him in any of my reporting or anything, but I still, like, my heart really breaks that, like, his life was just so pushed aside by the entire mm-hmm. media establishment because yeah. of his politics. He was a Trump supporter. And, um, yeah, so... His life didn't matter, did it? He's a man of color, was, didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, the violence that Antifa enacted against victims, it, it includes all races, has been... You can see on camera, I mean, last year during the riots, one of the people who was stabbed by an alleged Antifa militant um, was a black man. So, yeah. Surprise. They, st- they attacked a black man at Occupy Portland back in the day. I mean, this is not unusual, but it only counts unless somebody else that they don't like uh, attacks somebody of color. Then it's, you know, game on. Uh, shootout, you're sure the return fire that I saw or the initial fire, uh, the, it's hard to tell. I got to go back and look at that video again of the actual shootout in downtown Portland that you said was uh, involving an unrelated guy and then Antifa. And and uh, that was definitely Antifa, you believe? Uh, well, that's the Antifa themselves on the account so that they were, sh- they were shooting. He was shooting at us. That's the language that they use themselves. Okay. So, and in one of the videos that was recorded from a distance, you can see this: the person who was shooting at the man was dressed in black block mm-hmm. next to one of the Antifa members that I recognize, who's in a wheelchair. Oh, that so, guy! Got, um, that guy really gets around. <laughs> He's everywhere, isn't he? He was chasing you down in downtown Portland a few months ago. Uh, in May, yes, he was there that night and outside the hotel, uh, saying that. They're going to get me. That's right. Um, yeah. These militants, a lot of them, most of them are masked. Some of them are unmasked and nothing happens. You know, they can call for viol- incite violence openly. They can carry out violence openly. Uh, nothing happens. There's just, there's no political will to prosecute. Uh, in fact, if you prosecute them, you know, um, then that can actually be a political issue for the district attorney's office. Um, Plus, it may mean putting one of your friends in jail. <laughs> yeah. Swear. I swear. I just, a lot of people probably work for the city of Portland in Antifa. I'm just guessing. I know you know. Um, and you talk about some of the official duties of people who are in, ta- uh, in Antifa, some of whom work at OHSU and uh, at universities and that sort of thing. Many, but, many have or do work for the city of Portland as well. Many of the full-time rioters, full-time so-called protesters are also people who are living on public assistance. So, you know, I just hope someday that people can see how this whole, their whole ideology and how they organize this charade, like they call for the abolishment of the state, free markets, etc., while taking handouts from the state, from the from the taxpayer. So, you know, these are the hypocrites we're dealing with. These are the hypocrites who call themselves the anti-fascists and beat up women and people of color and gay people and other minorities. Um, um, but no matter how much light you turn on it, it's you're dealing with the whole apparatus of media that 
that make them so that make Antifa so powerful is that you're not you know it's not just a self-contained militant group on the ground. You have huge support circles in through politicians and of course through the press. You know, and there's no analogy, nothing analogous on the um, the right wing side. So mm-hmm. you know, right wing grassroots, right wing conservative, whatever you want to call it, Republican grassroots organizings in Portland and other cities are never going to be effective because they can never get on attorneys who are going to do pro bono legal aid, um, civil rights groups, you know, they don't just, nobody is willing to, to stand up for the other side. And, you know, for me, it, you know, we can, you can, again, strip away the left versus right label and you see it's, a, it's an issue of extremists targeting people for engaging in legally protected First Amendment activities. Couldn't agree more. The book is Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. If you read it, you'll find out some of the underpinnings of this group's belief system and uh, keep up with his writings and make sure you check out his webpage, andy-no.com. Thanks so much, Andy. Appreciate all you do. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple podcast app every time you listen. And give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs. And it makes us easier to find. Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor, Minds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to 1A Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, mischief managed.